asking the right questions will unlock your best life. They are the keys to enjoying more clarity, passion, balance, and confidence. Hi, I'm Todd Parker. And I'm Bridget Sampson. We're certified executive and life coaches, communication professors, trainers, consultants, and most importantly, parents. We're also dear friends who love diving into those deep conversations about life, relationships, family, and careers. All things about being a curious and compassionate human on this planet. So please join us, and we know you'll find something valuable that resonates with wherever you are on your journey. Welcome back to the Right Questions podcast. I am your co-host, as always, Todd Parker, here with my good friend, dear colleague, and brilliant mind, Bridget Sampson. How are you today, Bridget? Oh, thank you, Todd. I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk to our guest, as always, and really curious how this conversation is going to go, because we rarely have guests who know me so well. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I might look a little different. I'm here in New Mexico and it's uh, gorgeous here. And I know, Bridget, you're going to be out here in a few weeks bringing one of your daughters back to school. So I hope the weather is as nice for you as it is for me. I love Santa Fe. I love it. Yeah, it's gorgeous here. I'm equally excited, as you said before, to have our guest on today because obviously we have opinions and ideas and beliefs here on this show, right? We have ideas of beliefs about ways of being in the world, both personally and professionally, but we also do our best to not be prescriptive, to not should on anybody. If you've been listening to us for a while, we did a podcast on shooting all over people, S-H-O-U-L-D. So I preface this discussion today because this topic today is something that both Bridget and I, and of course our guest, who's going to help us answer the question today, are, are all very passionate about. So I kind of give a little caveat, a little disclaimer there that we believe in what we're going to share with you today, just like we believe in morning routines, just like we believe in meditation. We believe very deeply in servant leadership as a way of operating in the world. And this isn't just our opinion or our conjecture. This is very well supported by data and research that this is a highly beneficial, productive way of leading others to higher levels of everything. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our question and turn it and, and introduce our guest. So the question of today, how can I be a servant leader, right? And even to put it a few other ways, how can I embody servant leadership? How can I practice servant leadership in my life, perhaps personally and professionally? And to help us answer this question today, it's very exciting to have this gentleman on the show because he not only believes in it, but is striving, servant leadership, but is striving to practice it and figure it out every day in the highest levels of business in the private sector. So without further ado, the dynamic leader here to answer the question, how can I be a servant leader? Mr. Dan Green, Senior Vice President of North American Sales and Growth at Impossible Foods. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Todd. That's quite an intro. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. This is very, really exciting. And hi, Bridget. Hi. <laughs> go ahead, Bridget. I was just going to say, we try to treat our, our guests, you know, we try to roll out the red carpet for them. So go ahead, Bridget. Yeah, I just should have 
I should have walk-on music for that. Yeah, it's going to continue, though. Just hang on, Dan. We'll, we'll get to the conversation in a minute. But I want everybody to know who you are and all the amazing things you've done in your life. So as Todd said, Dan is currently the senior vice president. He leads North American sales and growth at Impossible Foods. Before that, he was at Twitter. He was the vice president of U.S. sales. Previously, he was a director at Google of new products and solutions for Google Affiliate Network and previously the head of Google TV and YouTube ads, online sales and operations. Dan, you can let me know if I get any of this wrong, if you're still paying attention, because I know it's probably going to get too long for you, but I'll try to keep it shorter. But before all of that, so he's this amazing leader in the business world, we know, and he writes about his leadership experience, which we'll talk about, which is really powerful. And we're going to share some great links for you to, to learn a lot more after you listen to the podcast. But prior to all of this, what's really unique about Dan is that he was a leader in the military. He attended the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis, which we all know of, with his BS in political science, with the general engineering curriculum. And then he went on later, after doing some things in the Navy, to get his MBA at UCLA in marketing and finance and spent many years in the military as a leader in the Navy as he served as a carrier-based Navy fighter pilot and director of operations for several aviation units. So he's got this fascinating combo of like high-level leadership in the business world and then really high-level leadership as a fighter pilot, as a director of operations in the Navy. But yet, I can say on a personal level, he really doesn't take himself that seriously. Like he is the first person to crack a joke, to make light of things, to like have just have a really funny perspective on things. And I know that because Dan is also a very, very good friend of mine and his wife is like my BFF. She's my (laughs) best friend from college. We live together. We've been through everything in life together. You two are just the most adorable couple. And you have three kids ranging from five to 17, which is just Ooh. fascinating <laughs> in yeah. itself. That's a whole no leader. No shortage yes, of stories, I know. Right? <laughs> Yes. Oh, great stories. And I've spent a good amount of time with those kids and they are amazing. They're turning out really nicely. You're doing a good job there. So there are a lot of leadership lessons in parenting as well. So hopefully in the conversation, we'll bring it all to the, the conversation and have a lot of fun in this talk. And so... That's Dan. He's my friend. He's also been kind enough to bring us in, to bring me in to lead some retreats and some training for his teams. And so we've, you know, connected on that personal level as well as the, the professional level. And I'm super excited to be going to Disneyland with him oh, and his family next week. I didn't know that. <laughs> funny story. Yeah. Funny story in trying to schedule this podcast recording, Todd. I was bugging Dan, texting him like, when can we do the podcast recording? He's like, well, I can't do it that week. I'm going to be at Disneyland. I was like, wait, you're going to Disneyland? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you want to come? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're going to have a great time. So I'm going to be there. Star Wars Land. Yeah, the extra wheel. Yes. I am a big kid with things like Disneyland. So I was like, yes, I'm going. And, you know, there's not a lot of people I would feel comfortable doing something like that with, just going with their whole family. But we're like family, in my opinion. So I'm going. So this is all right. Enough about all that. Todd, I'll throw it back to you to get Dan started talking to us about servant leadership. (laughs) It's so clear how close y'all are, and it makes this conversation perhaps even richer, right? Because we can really talk about, well, the realities, the truths about, and the challenges that we face in in trying to lead others to higher levels of success, you know, uh, both, like I said, personally and professionally. And, you know, Dan, I was reading your very popular Medium article in preparation for this discussion. 
you know, 30 years, 30 lessons in leadership. And one quote really stuck out to me. I wanted to share it with you and then have you expand upon it if I could. Here's the quote, and I know you'll recognize it. I love leading teams. I love the idea of figuring out how you motivate and inspire a group of people to achieve big, audacious goals. I love helping to create a culture where people feel empowered and supported and inspired to do their work. I love creating an environment where people can think creatively and critically and feel safe expressing their ideas and putting them into action. I love getting to know my team, what makes each individual tick and helping them develop, grow and achieve their dreams. Leading is tough. It's challenging. It can be lonely and thankless at times, but it's also incredibly rewarding and fulfilling when done Right. So Dan, that sounds an awful lot like what we all talk about servant leadership, something we've studied, something we teach, something like I've said, we're all very passionate about. So if you could like expand on this idea, like what does servant leadership mean to you? And just tell us more about your leadership philosophy and how it came about. I think um, servant leadership is basically putting the needs of your team before your own needs. I think the common misconception of leadership is that, oh, you're put in charge of something or a team or, or, or an organization and you sort of figure out what to do and tell everybody, you know, what to do. And that obviously isn't really leadership and certainly not what servant leadership is all about. You know, servant leadership is, at least the way I think about it, is where your job as a leader is to work for the people that work for you as much as they work, you know, you work for them as much as they work for you, or if not more, that your job is to, and this kind of goes to your second question, which is, you know, sort of what's my leadership philosophy. I believe that a leader's job is to help define the mission and the vision and the path. And I say help because I don't think a leader's job is to just simply define that him or herself, right? Like, you bring your knowledge and your experience and your intelligence to the table, your insights, et cetera, and help define all those things. But you need to collaborate with your team to make sure you get it right and you're getting all the right input so that you define the right mission, the right vision, and the right path to move forward. And then your job is to take care of your team, which is, I know, relatively broad, but ultimately take care of your team and they'll take care of the rest. Uh, and and when, I, when I say take care of your team, that means lots of different things. It certainly means literally taking care of them, right? Like getting to know them well enough that you're there to help them with the challenges that, that may come up, and whether it's professional or even personal, if necessary. That you understand what they're doing and how they're doing it, and you're able to lift barriers and uh, help them solve challenges or lift barriers that they can't solve themselves. And make sure that you provide the right training, the right tools, and the right the right systems and processes and, and resources that they need in order to achieve whatever it is that you need them to achieve. And so that's kind of how it all kind of comes together in my yeah. head. Yeah, very well said. And servant leadership is still a relatively new style, right? And it's in contrast, I think we would do everyone a service, everyone listening and, you know, to, to kind of contextualize this conversation, like, what is it challenging? Like, what does servant leadership challenge in the traditional sense of, of what leadership used to be and still is in a number of places, right? Boss, leader-centered, right? Focused on results, not people. I imagine, Dan, that you've been a part of a leadership structure at some point that was of this ilk and nature. And I know there is value in this leadership style as well. But could you speak to sort of the contrast there? Because I know you've experienced both of those styles. Well, it's interesting because my leadership style, the way in which I manage people and teams, 
has developed over the course of my career, you know, from early, early leadership experiences in junior high school and high school, um, all the way through college and, and then post-college my professional career. So who I am as a leader has been sort of hammered out and defined and refined over those years and continued. Like I can, like, you know, last I've been here for two years, I've continued to learn and develop as a leader. I don't think you ever stop. And not if you're, not if you're trying, not if you're, uh, conscientious about it, I suppose. Um, but anyway, like, but the fundamentals of, of how I lead were pretty much formed in the military, believe it or not. The servant-based leadership concept has existed in the military for a very long time. I remember when I was interviewing at Google. So I spent 11 years in the Navy after graduation and decided to get out in 2004. I went back to business school before getting out and I was going to business school, still in the Navy. Then I got out of the Navy. I got a job in commercial aviation business. I was doing that for about a year and a half, finished up business school, finished up. And then kind of a long story. I, I did an aviation startup and that went for about a year, but that came to an end as well. Or actually Karen, my wife asked me to go get a real job. So, uh, so I finished up. So I, I was done with business school. She's a school, smart said, lady. She's a smart lady. She's pregnant with our second kid. She's like, okay, you need to go get a job now. But um, so, right. So it'd been like two, two and a half years uh, since leaving the Navy, finished up business school, had, had some commercial experience, started doing a job search and long and short of it, fast forward, I end up interviewing at Google and the job, I'm like they fly me up to, to Mountain View. We we're living in San Diego at the time. And I did, you know, eight or nine interviews and Google had grown really, really fast, had large numbers of like, sort of like just out of college level folks that were doing sales roles and sort of operational roles, and customer facing roles, large numbers, like, like thousands. And they didn't have a whole lot of experience management leadership, right? People who had led teams and managed teams of 10 and 20 and 30 people or more. And so they were looking for that kind of leadership. And, and that's how I ended up interviewing for this job called manager of online sales and operations, which is essentially a sales manager job. Um, and spent the whole day interviewing with a great slate of people. And at the end of every single interview, I asked a typical question, right? Do you have any concerns? Do you have any reservations uh, based on the conversation we've had? And almost every single person said, you know, this is a really great conversation. I do have one concern is that, you know, most of your time is leading teams in the military. And I'm sure that's very, very different than what we do here. And so then my answer to that question was, well, let me describe how I lead in the military. And you tell me if that's antithetical to what you want here, right? And what I described was like, well, my job as a manager is to get to know my people, to understand what makes them tick, to help them figure out what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, and provide coaching and guidance and mentorship for them to, to develop. My job as a leader is to motivate and inspire my team to achieve goals and objectives that we have for our teams and our business and, and not to simply direct. My job as a leader is to create an environment where people think creatively and critically and, and, and provide their opinions and their thoughts to the group so that, we can, so that we can come up with the best plan and execute against it. So if that's wrong, if you think that's like not the right environment for Google, that's fine because you know I, I'll lead somewhere else that, that does have the right environment. <laughs> of course, all of them were like, oh, no, that's great. That's exactly what we want. And to, to that point, Todd, like that's what I learned in the military. Well, as somebody listening might hopefully doesn't take that answer and use it for their own leadership answer uh, in, a, in an interview, because that was a fantastic, well-delivered and impactful, right? Like that, that's why you got the job, I assume, and among other reasons. But yeah, that does answer the question, Dan. The boss-centered right approach to leadership that this is such a challenge to and to I hear you saying I'm here to serve first and lead second I'm curious what you do cuz Bridget and I are big on taking care of yourself so that you can take care of others 
what you do to care for yourself that you so that you could show up for your team in the ways that you do to have a care and attention for them in that way. I believe leadership requires some discipline to one degree or the other. It just does. I mean, like, I'd like to say that like, Hey man, everything's cool. Anything goes and you kind of approach it any way you want, live your life any way you want. Like there is a certain level of discipline that's required to be effective as a leader. What I mean is like, to answer your question first, you have to have the discipline to take care of yourself, right? You have to maintain your energy levels and your, your sort of emotional stability and your mental stability, right? Like you have to, because you have to bring your A game in every single time you walk in the door because the team's sort of riding on your, on your energy and on how you present yourself and how you bring yourself to the table, right? And if your life is a mess and you're, you're physically or emotionally drained or whatever else it might be, you're not going to be effective as a leader, right? So you, you have to be able to have a certain amount of discipline to take care of yourself physically and emotionally and mentally as best you can. So whether that, you know, like you can't stay up all night, you have to be able to get some sleep. You have to exercise, you have to eat right. You have like, you know, like to really put that much, you know, here's the deal. Servant leadership is hard. Old school leadership's easy. That's easy. It's really easy to like sort of build a walled garden around yourself, tell people what to do. Don't provide transparency and don't care who your people are or what they're all about. Like it's really easy to do that. And therefore, you can be relatively undisciplined in taking care of yourself. But if you're going to be a servant leader, if you're going to pour that much energy into, into everything, and, and, and then you're going to have to, you've also got to be disciplined about taking care of yourself. But where do you get that will then, Dan? Absolutely. Like, why, why do that? I, that's the next logical question to me. Like, why do all that if the other way is easier? It's a really good question. Maybe I should change yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, uh, no. um, why do that? Because I believe it's the it's the right thing to do, and that's the other part of uh, of, of when I when I was talking about discipline. The the fundamental guiding principle of my life is doing the right thing, and I don't even know how to describe it. Like that makes life easier, right? So anytime you're wrestling with a difficult decision, if the answer is do the right thing, and it's always do the right thing, then you don't really wrestle with it, right? Like because the right decision is the right decision whether that's the harder decision or not. And I believe creating a good environment and treating people with respect is the right thing to do. I just don't believe in creating an environment where people are living and working in fear, where they're living and working in an unhappy way, where they're not inspired or motivated in their work, where they're miserable. Like that, That's just not the right way to do it. That's just not the right thing. I hear in there that it's not a job. It's like a, a lifestyle and it's deeply rooted in like your value systems. I appreciate you for that, Dan. Yeah, that's right. You, you put it better than I did. No, that's, that's exactly right. Dan's big on core values and we've talked about that a lot of times. And, and I can say from watching from the outside, he really lives everything he's saying, whether it's at home or in the office. I've been with him in both of those environments many times. So I want to dive deeper into, you two will not be surprised, the people side of things. <laughs> you know, it's very clear, Dan, that you are, you know, beyond competent in like setting that vision and the mission and how to execute and how to, you know, you've just grown sales and scaled businesses and done just phenomenal, incredible things in companies. And so it's rare, I find, you know, to find a leader who's really crushing it on that side and the people side, right? So let's talk a little bit, go a little, dive a little deeper on the people side. You say in your article that the best leaders care deeply about their people, like on a personal level, really, really care. And you also say you can't fake caring, 
So I, we have these conversations with leaders we coach a lot around how they may care, but they're not showing it in ways where people really feel it and believe it and that trust is not there. And so therefore people aren't telling them the truth about what's happening and that can be disastrous, right? You've seen all these things happen, but there's a fine line. It, it's a tough line to walk to be that caring boss, right? Who cares when your kid is sick, who cares you know, whatever, as you said, that maybe you're having uh, physical challenges that are making it harder, but that also tells you the truth about where you need to grow and where, where you're not living up to expectations. And I'm really curious about how you walk that line. And I'll just throw in, you know, another great source. Your friend Kim Scott wrote the book Radical Candor, which we love. I'm looking at it again. I have it in front of me. And she talks about how radical candor kind of lies between ruinous empathy and obnoxious aggressiveness, right? And I think that's the same thing I'm talking about. Is like, if you care too much and you're too nice, you're not helping people grow and you're not telling them the truth. And if you're too tough on people, they won't trust you and they'll be demoralized. And that brings a whole other set of problems. Plus it's not the right thing and it's not being a good person. So how do you walk that line? It's one of the toughest things that our leaders who we coach bring to us. So help us. Because I think it is the toughest thing we deal with. Like if you're really trying to be a servant leader and you care deeply about your people, the hardest thing is to also be able to give tough critical feedback when necessary. Cause if, you know, um, we don't even do this in, uh, well, Kim would argue that you should, but we tend not to do that in our personal lives. Right. As much, right. Like our, our husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and so on and so forth. Like we don't typically provide critical feedback. We tend to fight more. And that's what comes out. But you don't have reviews. Although I've offered Karen, I've offered to, Karen's complained over the years that like she doesn't get reviews. Since, you know, she decided, but my wife she doesn't really to, want a performance review. No spouse really she, wants you know, She's an attorney and, and she decided years ago to not, um, to, well, several years ago to, to stop working and to be full-time mom and, and everything else, which she loves. And, and, but she, she's, you know, she often laments that she doesn't get reviews and bonuses right. and promotions. And I've offered to create a system where we can do reviews and bonuses and promotions. But I don't know if awesome. um, so, so yeah, it is, it's really hard. And I, I struggle with it all the time. You know, like I, I develop good connections with the people that work with me and, and that report to me and, and oftentimes over the years to have had people that needed to get some pretty critical feedback. I mean, and I've had to have really tough conversations. I mean, I've had manager, you know, several, there's been several occasions. I remember one situation where a manager reported to me at Google was the greatest guy. I mean, the nicest, most caring manager and leader for his team. Well, he was loved by his team. He was selfless in everything he did. And 100% positive, 100% of the time, just just a fantastically good person. And but wasn't the best at 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 you know his job in every way, right? Like was good in some ways, but not the whole package because he he couldn't be critical enough, I guess, uh, in some cases, and didn't think about certain business situations in the right way. And, and and so like having to tell him like, hey, this is sort of the limit of you know based on where you're at right now, like you're great. I love you. You're fantastic. And you do all these things great, really, really well, but you're not going to get to the next level unless this stuff changes. That's a really hard message to give to somebody like that. But, you know, I needed to give that. I I needed to be able to, to, you have to have the discipline and fortitude as a servant-based leader to also provide critical feedback or else you're not doing anybody any favors. And Kim Scott herself, there was a situation 
at Twitter where I agonized over a decision I had to make that was going to greatly impact one person. And, you know, I was toying with an organizational structure that would optimize for this person versus providing the feedback and, and optimizing like versus a different structure that would, that would optimize for the entire organization. And Kim said, look, she said two things. One, your job is to make tough decisions and you can't optimize for one person and de-optimize for everybody else for the entire organization. And then the last thing she said is there's plenty of really great people that are not great at their jobs or are not necessarily great at their jobs. And you have to be tough enough to be able to handle this <laughs> in Kim's way. So that it was, good, it was good feedback and good advice. And, and it's so, I guess the long short of it, Bridget, is it isn't easy. It's probably the hardest thing you have to deal with. And it's a lot easier if you're maybe an old school leader, right? Where like, you don't care or you care in a different way, I suppose. And so it is really, really difficult, but you have to remember part of your job is to be able to provide critical feedback. You have to be able to do it. I suppose the last, last point on that is like one tool or trick, not trick, but tool that does help is providing context, right? Reminding people what your job is, right? Like in those tough feedback sessions or in those, those discussions where you're having those tough conversations, like, look, my job isn't just to be your cheer, cheerleader, right? And your friend, like I have to be able to provide you feedback to help you grow or, or tell you how it is. That's part of my job. And it's part of your job as a, you know, if I'm talking to a man, part of your job as a manager as well. Mm. Okay. I'm curious about something. So we need to provide that feedback, like you said. Otherwise, individuals can't grow. They can't actually reach, in this case, professional goals, right? You're not going to make it to those levels if you don't make a shift here. And part of the the feedback is to, one, change the perspective and then change the behavior, right? And so that they, they can get there. And what you brought up, Bridget, there from, you know, from Kim Scott and Radical Candor, what you expanded on is, well, I guess what I'm getting at is there's behaviors in there that create or inhibit psychological safety. Right, something that we're as leaders, we hopefully try to establish with our in our organization to allow for those really difficult conversations to take place with trust, right, credibility. So I'm curious, as somebody who is navigating this space constantly, I've got two questions in here. One is just how do you do it? Is this the like the actual behaviors, like maybe some tips or like you said, tricks or strategies you use? But also, I'm curious. Have you ever stepped in it, like kind of made a misstep and given some what you thought was constructive, well-positioned, you know, well, uh, well-worded feedback? And in fact, you, you know, kind of tarnished the psychological safety that was going on in the moment? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there's a brilliant example of that. So the first part of the question was, how do you create the space? Part of it is, is words, right? Like, I talk to my teams and my management teams and the broader organization that I manage all the time. And we talk about everything from the business to updates to philosophical takes on leadership and values. So we, we talk about it all and we don't just hit it once. We hit it all the time in different ways. I actively discuss with people that, hey, part of what we're building here is an environment where people can think creatively and critically and express their opinions and your opinions are are. are are valued. In fact, if you don't have opinions, it's not a good thing, right? Like I actually, like we hire people because we want to hire people that we hire people that are, that are thinkers, not just great at this particular job we're hiring them for. And part of what we value in people that we hire is that they are, they're creative, critical thinkers who, who come up with ideas, who point out flaws, who ask tough questions, who have great ideas on what we should be doing. And, and therefore then we create an environment 
where we want that, we solicit that and encourage it. And when people do express their ideas, do ask tough questions or do have critical feedback or disagree with what, whatever it is we're doing, they're not punished for that, right? They're not, they're, you know, like that conversation flourishes. I think the techniques are multifold. One is I'm not always the one, even though I'm doing a lot of talking today, like I'm not always the one talking. And, and when we're in meetings or in management team meetings and we're, there's a debate, I'm not just the one that's like, providing all the pushback or the answers or whatever it is, right? Like I let the debate flow and run, right? So, so that there's active conversation, active debate that's happening. And I'm not just the one sort of saying, this is how it is. The other thing is, is that I measure as a leader, I measure the culture that I'm helping to create by how actively and readily people disagree with me, right? Like, cause I'm not always right. And if I'm doing a really good job of creating a safe environment where people feel comfortable, then they're going to disagree when I, on certain issues, or they're going to ask tough, tough questions, or they're going to, they're going to express counter opinions. And that's a really good thing. When people can debate and argue with me, that's really, really healthy. When nobody ever asks tough questions or pushes back, that's a very, very unhealthy situation. You're going to hit an iceberg. I just want to say, I know you're going to tell us your story about where you made a mistake, and I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> but, but, but I want to add on to what you're saying here, because I've seen you interact with teams, and you truly embody that and live that, because I think a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but some leaders where they get it wrong is they say that. They give lip service. Oh, your ideas are important to me. We value your opinions. Speak up. But then as soon as somebody speaks up, they get shot down. Yeah. And those leaders often don't realize that's what they're doing. And in the next minute, they'll say, come on, give me your opinions. Why isn't anybody saying anything? And it's like, well, did you see what you just did when someone said something? Right. So Todd and I are constantly facilitating groups where we see this dynamic happening. And we have to help these leaders understand that you can't just say that you want to hear people's opinions. It's doing what you're talking about doing and not being the person who talks least in the room, being the person who welcomes the opinions and perspectives that are in opposition right. to their own asking questions, people, like you said. Out. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why our, our podcast is the right is about questions, because we think it's you know, as a leader, it's more important to think about the questions you're asking people than just telling, as you said, then what are you telling them to do? We need to engage people in that way. So, all right. So now I hope I didn't, if you had more on that, go for it. But then I want to hear your story. It is great. It's a good reminder. Like one of the things too, is that like, even people who are really focused on doing the right thing as leaders and being servant leaders and creating the right environments and, and letting those conversations flourish and the debate, sort of all those, even people who are aware of all of this, doing all of this also make the, make mistakes too, right? Like none of us are doing it perfectly all the time. There's plenty of time where I'm sure I'm in debates and I get defensive and, and start you know talking too much instead of letting things roll. But anyway, I do think that's part of creating the right environment. You asked, Todd, you asked if I'd ever stepped in it. So as freshmen at the Naval Academy, you essentially spend the first summer in boot camp, really the first year in, in essentially a boot camp environment um, where you're constantly being yelled at and asked to do all these different things. And you have all these rules and restrictions. I won't, I won't go into all the details, but it's tough. And one of the first lessons they teach you at the Naval Academy is, is something that they refer to as message to Garcia. And Message to Garcia comes from an article written in around the turn of the century, turn of the, what would be, what, the 1900s, was that 20th century? Whatever. So this is like around the Spanish-American War. And it describes a situation where a second lieutenant or something is given a, a message to give to Garcia. That's what his commanding officer says, like, give this message to Garcia. And the basic premise is that the commanding officer 
knows what the second lieutenant, what knowledge he, and he has, what information he has, has given him all the information he needs to, to complete his mission. And what's important for that second lieutenant to do at that point in time is find Garcia and give him the message. Not ask a bunch, a bunch of questions about who's Garcia and where do I find him and who am I, and what's in the message and all these other things. Right? Like just go do what you know, like go do what you're supposed to do and you're capable of it. Take the initiative, think creatively and critically about the task and go execute. That's the lesson. All right. Don't plague your, your manager, your boss or whatever with questions that he or she already knows that you, you have the answers uh, to, uh, to. And so that's the message. And so early on at Google, I gave my team that article as, you know, part of the sort of lessons. And I don't know what we were doing. We were just sort of like every couple of weeks, we would sort of do a lesson on something to help develop the lessons, you know, help, help people develop and grow and, and so on and so forth. And so I said, Hey guys, read this. It's a really interesting article. There's a really great lesson in it. And we'll discuss it. Well, everyone read it and the team was, this team, I was, this was my first year. This team was about 40 people, 35 people, like half the team basically had a total allergic reaction to it. They were like, what are you, what are you telling us? Like, just anytime you tell me to do something, just go do it. Like, I mean, they did, like, it was so, it was such a misfire. Like, it took me, it took me several co- deep conversations, probably a month or two to regain the trust of like half the team. Um, <laughs> no. The other half of the team was like, oh yeah, I totally get it. But like, I totally, it was so, it was so dumb. That, that's a perfect so. example. And I, it was, I don't know if that was early on in your Google career there, or, you know, you. It was, it was, yeah, it was like the first year. Well, that, you know, we have a lot of leaders that. You hadn't learned a lot about being Googly yeah. yet. That wasn't Googly. <laughs> no, Dan. it just wasn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> You know, no context, right? Like context is such an important, it's such an important thing to, to make sure people have. I like this story for so many reasons. You know, we're in doing workshops and so often with either new managers or even established managers and leaders, right? And there's a, a fear of messing up and they're so afraid of messing up, of stepping in it, that it keeps them so constrained from really right, being themselves and even developing their own styles of leadership, which, you you know, what you're saying is it evolved, it changed over time, it, it was crafted and hammered out over mistakes like this, right? Where, you know, so it gives hope and is very heartening for anyone listening to say like, well, here's Dan who clearly, yeah, stepped in it. And like you admitted, say, took months to regain, but you can do it. You can come back. It's about being thoughtful, intentional, right? These central, these hallmarks of what we're talking about here, servant leadership that I would imagine, I'll speculate, you know, and assume allowed you to regroup and come back from such a jarring event for your team. One of the things that's dawned on me over time is that leadership is based on trust, right? So to really do it well, you have to build trust. And you build trust in a few different ways. One of them is through having integrity, right? So operating with integrity, leading with integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, and, and, and being honest and truthful and ethical and moral. When you visibly lack ethics and ethical sort of direction and moral compass, you would think there's no way for people to trust you, although we seem to have proven that otherwise. But anyway, I think at, at, you know, generally speaking, people do not trust somebody that they see doing the wrong things. That's one thing. But the second thing is, is through connection, right? So familiarity builds trust. We trust people that we know. And one of the mistakes leaders make, I think, is not letting their teams know them and not getting to know them themselves, right? So you have to get to know your, your people, but they have to get to know you. So I share... I share myself with my teams personally, you know, what my family, what I'm doing, 
who I am and the mistakes that I make, right? The humility and uh, um, to make mistakes openly and admit them and laugh about them and not take yourself seriously. So that, that builds trust. But if that's balanced with technical competency, which also builds trust, then it's okay, right? If you're just a sort of a fool and you're constantly making mistakes and constantly screwed up and you're not technically competent, then they're probably not, they might like you and, and think you're funny, but they're not going to respect you. So those two things combined, I think that technical competency is also an important element of building trust. Yeah. And there's research about what you said about character. One of my favorite classes to teach at Google was the influence course because we worked from uh, Terry Bacon's book, Elements of Influence, and this whole big book about global studies for decades of, of what makes people more influential and people seeing you as a person of good character, of high morals and ethics and a good person and doing the right thing, like rose above globally every other measure of measures for how we are can be more influential in any setting. So there's so much to what you're saying here, but I want to turn it around to family since you mentioned family. Let's talk about how does this come into play in your role as a leader, as a dad? Because I can, uh, one thing I could say about your kids is they are not afraid to speak up. <laughs> they are super smart, super sharp, and they will say what they think. And I love that. I love that as an adult interacting with them. And so you've raised them to be very confident and know who they are. And yet it's got to be challenging to balance that with also providing the guidance and the wisdom that you have as a dad. So how do all these leadership principles show up at home with your kids? <laughs> Bridget, I, I am much better leader at work than I am at home. <laughs> I mean, it's not even close. Karen, I mean, Karen is like, she's a fantastic, she's the best mom I've ever seen. And She's way better at being a mom than I am being a dad. There's no doubt about that. And she even says, like, I think you're much better at work than you are here. Um, <laughs> so I think you're right. We do try to, like, listen and we do try to, like, let the kids have opinions and thoughts and, and find their own path. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I have good answers here. Like, it's so hard. It is incredibly <laughs> difficult because... You know, teenagers are not fully like formed mentally. Right. right? Like, That's they're like, 25, fact, they say. It, they say that the, that the, right? the teenage pubes- pubescent mind is much more like a toddler's mind than it is anything else. Really. <laughs> I, they were yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. A while, yes. Impulsive and, you know, <laughs> emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they are like, as they get into those teenage years, they don't want to listen to you really. Although they, they really are in the background. Like they're constantly listening to you. The stuff does sink in. I can see it because they parrot it back and they're like, no, no, I get it. I'm supposed to do the right thing. But, um, you know, like they are also, it's like they're wired to, to, to ignore your advice and go the <laughs> yes. wrong way. And, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's a struggle, but I do think that like ultimately, I think what you have to do at home, is I think you do need to create an environment where, cause, cause they're people they're they are people. And especially as they get older and older and older, they have to be able to express themselves and they have to have the freedom of choice and you can't control everything they want to do. Even the tough things that you think are the wrong moves. And I think you kind of have to try and set limits and say, well, we're going to pick our battles, right? We're going to, you got to do this. Like whatever, you got to get good grades. I'm not sacrificing that. Like you, if you want to do nothing, fine, do nothing, but you're going to get good grades. You know, like, so it's like, it's like picking and choosing your battles and giving them the, the freedom to make choices as long as they're not going to really fundamentally hurt themselves. But that's, that's hard. I haven't figured out the dad. I really have not figured out the dad thing. I think I've got a few things figured out on the business side, but not the parent side. 
this is a something I hear from a lot of, a lot of people. You know, we coach, right, Bridget? Like the ability to listen and ask questions and not be prescriptive to say our kids in this instance as a parent is more challenging, right? Because there's like a, a level of control and of, of concern, right? And even fear for, you know, your child's well-being that while we care about our organization and everyone in it as a, the papa bear, like the feelings that come out and trying to protect and, and save are, are a little bit different and a little more elevated when it comes to kids. At least it is for me. <laughs> well, there's also like, there's also like kids are making like these fundamental choices like that are different than maybe your teams are, right? Like they, the, the deepest discussion that you might get in with your team is about their career choices and, you know, them maybe leaving the team or leaving the company or whatever. You're typically not getting deep on the personal level. You're probably not even supposed to. So you're, you're usually not having deep conversations about, yeah, should we try to you know, do IVF or not? You know, like that's usually not the conversations you're having. With your kids, of course, it gets deeply personal, right? And, you can, and deeply personal issues oftentimes have seemingly more dire consequences, right? Like, yes. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Here's the good news, Dan, is you have a lot more time to get it right, don't you? Dylan is going to benefit from the fact that I am going to, there's no doubt. I'm but like, you know, I've had 15, 17 years to practice. Like I'm thinking better now than I was 17 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, both ends. 12. You have both ends. You have one going into kindergarten and you have one in a year going off to college. Very few people get that, right. Get that experience of having those ends of the spectrum. And so, yeah, you get to take all those lessons and, you know, but I think that, we all feel the same way about parenting, that it's one of those things where we can all be humble and say, we're just fumbling and stumbling our way through it. And we may have studied and researched all this leadership material, but it's totally different with our kids. We're just going to say thank you. It was a fun, great conversation. And well, I'll see you soon. <laughs> thank you. It was a good conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Todd, it was nice to actually finally meet you. I've heard great things as well. Enjoy the conversation. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Yes, thank you, Dan. Appreciate your time. We're going to let you go. As always, we'll see you next time. Be good people and make great choices. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Right Questions podcast. We hope this episode sparked something that fuels your own inquiry and transformation. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to learn more about the work we do and how it can benefit you, check out our website, SampsonCoachingAndConsulting.com. And connect with me on Instagram at the Bridget Sampson. And you can find me at Todd Parker Official. We'll catch you next week. Until then, dare to ask the right questions.